Thank you so much, Jimmy. That was so nice. Great it. job. Right. He smells good, by the way. Okay. Um, did it just smell it? Okay. <laughs> so our next presenter, Jason Rice. I've actually had the pleasure of working with him for several years now, um, back when I was a webinar goddess. And he's done my show a few times. And I have so many great stories about uh, uh, <laughs> this light bulb moment that he did uh, on one of the shows that we had done together. And I love telling that story because, you know, I'm not a dealer. I never worked in a dealership. I just tripped and fell into the auto industry and fell in love just like all of you. However, every... Yes, the answer is yes. Um, however, um, every once in a while, I get surprised with a light bulb moment. And Jason Rice just happened to be one of those people who delivered it to me. I never forget the story, because literally you could hear over the airwaves my mind being blown. So if you don't know who Jason Rice is, well, that's what I'm here to tell you. Jason Rice is the owner of Lot Pop. It's a company that helps dealerships manage their internet processes, marketing, and used car inventory. So if you're looking to sell more used cars, I promise you, this is the guy you need to hear from. He's a 22-year automotive veteran. Jason spent eight years on the retail side running award-winning internet departments and then eight years on the vendor side as a performance manager for V Auto before starting Lot Pop. He's helped many dealerships greatly increase their used car sales and you know what? He's going to do the same for you. So when it comes to used car inventory management, I'm going to tell you, I don't know that there's anyone better than this gentleman right here. Today, he's here to school us all on the top ten don'ts of used car inventory management. Sit up and pay attention to this one, everyone. Please welcome Jason Rice. Thank you, thank you. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I do want to get into something at least tangible that you guys can take to your stores as dealerships to help improve your used car operations. I do believe that you can have gross and volume at your used car operations, but there's a lot of things that you've got to track and trend. And these are the things that we go over with our dealers that we get pushback on. So I'm going to introduce those to you. But before I do, I've been putting it out there a little bit. I, I just started cycling in August and uh, I've been enjoying it. And I was looking at maybe getting some memorabilia and I ran across this, you might not be able to see it, but it is an autographed jersey. And I started thinking about the relevance of this jersey and how it can show us the way of how not to be in the automotive uh, dealerships or automotive world. And the reason why I say that is if you notice the company name on this is Radio Shack. And when's the last time you've been into Radio Shack? I used to love them as a kid. You go in and look at the new high-tech toys and the new robots and everything. And, now they're pretty much obsolete, filed bankruptcy a couple times. I think they're partnered up with Hobby Town for battery operations. You can't order anything online. But if you think about that in the auto industry, you've heard it every, every day here. Ben, uh, Brian Benstock covered it good. I mean, there's just innovative things hitting our industry. And if we're not changing and adapting, we're going to end up like this Radio Shack. Again, one of the don'ts. And if you don't know who the autograph, anybody can guess who the autograph might be on the front of this? No. Lance Armstrong. So it's Lance Armstrong, auto-record after he raced for Radio Shack. 
So that hit me too. It's like, you know, do you want to idolize this guy? Do you really want to have him up in your office? Do you want this memorabilia? But the impact that he did to the cycling industry just kind of tore it apart. He won seven Tour de France's, but between lying and cheating and stealing to do that. And again, there's dealerships that are still out there that's doing some of those practices that gives us that bad name. And so, you know, when I looked at this, I'm like, you know what, maybe I could hang this up in my office just as a reminder of things not to do to keep things going. But I thought it was unique, again, a different way to approach the don'ts. And that's why I want to cover the 10 don'ts of used car management. Now, a uh, little bit, ooh, I've got to go back. Is this the back button? There we go. A little bit of my information there if you want to follow me. I do have a lot of these tips that I'm going to go over on YouTube. There's about... If you do Lot Pop Inc. on YouTube, there's probably 150 plus tips, uh, interviews, good content out there. I do something about a Facebook Live about once a week just with good content. Because what we do as a company, I'm not here to picture anything, but what we do as a company is not proprietary. These are things that you need to be doing and can be doing yourself. It's just usually hard to stay on top of it, and that's what we do. And these top 10 things, like I was getting to earlier, we go meeting calls with our dealerships and actually change prices with our stores. Hold their hands, get down and dirty. Every week we're changing prices. I bring that up because we will literally change at least a thousand prices a week. We, and all over the different markets, all over different franchises, size, and it doesn't matter. These are depreciating assets. It doesn't matter if you're a Mercedes store in Beverly Hills or a mom and pop independent dealer in Colorado. They're depreciating assets. And again, as we go through helping dealerships move the inventory, get gross in volume, these are some of the pushbacks we get. Number one, I'm gonna tell you, is everybody having a decent March? March is always a strong month. Over the last five years, we've been tracking data and looking at shopper counts and activity. And you guys know, being in an industry long enough, if you look at trends, we're going into one right now. Tax season just ended, we're hitting spring. Most markets, spring we hit a wall. Temperature changes, uh, the temperature changes out there, people get distracted. If they're already, if we're gonna buy with taxes money, they're probably already done it already. Soccer, baseball starts happening, school's happening, spring break's happening, and they get distracted. You're gonna hit a wall and things are gonna slow down as good as March had been. But you're gonna be buying inventory right now at high dollar, high dollar at the lane, and then come April and May, when it slows down, shopper counts tend to drop about eight to 15% from March to April. All you gotta do is go into your auto trader and they'll show you shopper counts for the last 12 months. Look at the trend, I've done it for five years. Auto, uh, April will drop about eight to 15% in shopper counts and then May will drop another five to 10% from April. Then you get into the June wall, but then July, August is that summer selling season, it picks back up again. I bring this up because we're gonna maybe end up in an aging issue. You might not have one now if you have some good turn going with the March sales. But the first thing I wanna talk about is don't jack up your pricing on your fresh inventory to make, off, make up the gross that you're missing on aged cars or any kind of lack of gross. Now hear me out, I understand that every car deserves a shot, but you gotta understand which cars do deserve it and which ones don't, okay? And when I'm talking, I'm talking vaguely. I'm like your first 15 day bucket, the first 15 days, how many cars do you have sitting there and then what's your, how you price on those cars. And a lot of dealers will jack that pricing up, be at 101, 102, 105 in that first 15 days. But what happens is our best performing stores to get both gross and volume will sell 60 to 70% of their sales in the first 30 days. 
If you want to make gross in volume, do 60 to 70% of your sales in the first 30 days. That's where the money is. We all know that. If the gross is in the first 30 days, then do we want to increase or decrease the odds of those cars selling in the first 30 days? Well, we want to increase the odds. But by pricing it at 105% generically across the board on average, we're really decreasing the odds and causing those cars to bleed through and continue my aging problem. Okay? So it sounds counterintuitive. I'm telling you to drop your prices to make more gross. But I'm, if you're doing 60 to 70% in the first 30 days, you're not complaining about gross and your volume automatically kicks up. Okay? So we talk a lot about the first 30. Matter of fact, I have wristbands and I put some on everybody's table here. It says first 30. That's all it says. Because if you're a dealer and you know money's made in the first 30, I want managers to be looking down every day at their wrist realizing I got to focus on this. Because if I got to get 60 to 70% of my sales in the first 30 days, I got to have that inventory there in the first place to do it. I can't have an aging problem. I can't sell 60 70% in the first 30 when I only have 30% of my inventory fresh. Okay, But then that forces me to really concentrate on what's coming into the pipe. What am I pushing in there? Is there a lot of trades, a lot of purchases? Do I own them high? Does, do I got to deal with transportation with the purchase? How's my, how's my turnaround time? It forces you to be more proactive in all these other areas that's going to keep you profitable in your used car operations. Okay? Second thing, now we're always going to try out a trade. I forgot who mentioned it yesterday. It might have been Brian about don't be trying to steal trades because you're paying too much at the lane, right? If anywhere you want to willing to step up, you need to do it at the curb and not at the lane. But yet we still see dealers going in because one of the things we track is what percentage of your inventory is trades versus purchases and then how do you own them? Matter of fact, we look at how you're pricing those two differently by age buckets. And nine times out of 10, our purchases are always priced higher than our trades because it usually comes down to cost to market and we're trying to protect the spread. But purchases are usually ones that end up bleeding through and aging anyways. I know Dale was talking yesterday about profit time and how 100% of the inventory of dealers have it inverted. And I guarantee if you look at those percentages of, of bad performing cars, you're basically looking at a trade to purchase percentage at a dealership. Because a lot of times we own those trades high, we want to give them a shot, we want to try to make some money on them. But again, those are the cars that end up bleeding through and costing us deals. So don't try to steal trades. There's not a manager who wouldn't tell me, hey, when it comes to trades, we don't lose any deals. But I guarantee you we can go through some of those appraisals and see those missed opportunities. Third thing, don't let your car go more than two weeks before making a price adjustment. My last year with Auto, I was a director of performance management, traveled the east side and helped dealerships. But what that forced me to do, I was going into dealerships I didn't know anything about. This is really when I understood the successful stores were the worst uh, compared to the non-successful stores. As a director, you know, my managers weren't bringing me into their high-performing stores. They're bringing me into their challenged accounts that weren't making gross and weren't doing volume. So guess what I heard? Say, hey, Jason, ever since we went to this market-based pricing, we're not able to make any gross and we're not making any money. We need, you know, we need the things to be changing here. I think we're cheap selling our fresh inventory and, you know, we're pricing too competitively. I would go into their sold report. There's a report in the back end I can look at where they're selling their inventory out of. And more times than not, these dealers were pushing 20, 30, 40% of their sales were going out on 60-day or older cars. And that's barely making any money or losing money. So when you have 30% of your sales going out on 60-day or older cars, that's your gross problem. 
Because remember, our fresh stuff's priced at 105, <laughs> you know, because we're not making any money. So you're not cheap selling fresh inventory, you're bleeding through, and that's the aging problem that's causing your issue. So what happened was, as I was trying to figure out, how does this happen? How do these cars bleed through? You seem like to be a good operator. Why are these cars bleeding through? And then my first, and I would tell the dealer, and you check this out yourself. If you have Viato or any other system, Viato's a little bit easier to do this. Go into your inventory and sort it by last price change date. And that's what I did. And you know what I noticed was I would see 30, 40, 50, 60 day old cars. And the date, the last price change was 30, 40, 60 days ago. And I realized what was happening. As a used car manager, when I'm handling hundreds of cars, I got so much going on in front of me. I show up in the morning, there's a heat deal in service. I got the auction calling me about cars. I got a salesman calling and I got the first trade ready to get appraised, right? So all day I'm running like that. And then I take a breather and man, I gotta change prices. So they sit down with the sandwich and start eating lunch and trying to do some price changes while working deals. And after about an hour or two of doing that, they go back to running their business. But guess what two areas that manager focused on? Fresh inventory, because I got to get it photoed, get it online. My boss is on me about turnaround time. And then he focused on age cars, because I got to blow those out, because we got an aging problem going on. And guess what got ignored? It was those, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40 year old cars. They're not fresh anymore, and they're not aged. So a lot of dealers would uh, attack their inventory by age or lack of performance or what have you. But the best way to attack your inventory is look at cars we haven't adjusted, and if it's been longer than two weeks, you need to do something, okay? Assuming your photos and descriptions are standing tall, but yet the car's not performing and it's been two weeks now, it's gotta be the price that's causing it, okay? Not saying you have to drop the price, maybe you do, maybe you don't, maybe you put a spiff on it, maybe you gotta redo the photos, but you gotta do something. But don't let it go more than two weeks, okay? Don't, number four. Don't wait to put a price on a car until it gets out of service. Now this is getting a little bit better in the industry, but we ran into it a ton. But we pull on up four, five, seven day old cars asking why there's not a price. Well, I don't know my costs on it yet. It's not done through service. Well, how's that relevant? And I think, and I give them an example of kind of the hypocrisy that we do sometimes as a dealership. And what I mean by that is, how many times have we told a customer, I want to, they give, we give them seven grand for their trade. And they say, well, hold on, I can't do that. What do you mean? Well, I need more than that. Well, what are you thinking? Well, I need 10 grand. Where are you coming up with your number? Well, that's what I owe. What do we tell the customer? If you owe a dollar, is your car worth a dollar? No, it's worth what it is. I can go to the lane right now and go to the auction and buy it for seven grand. What you owe on your car, sir, is irrelevant to what it's worth. But yet, when we put on our pricing shoes, we go, hold on, I can't put a price on that yet. I don't know why I owe on it, right? Well, I got to price it here at 110% because I bought it for 105. I got to make my money. So then we go into hope and change mode, what I call the Obama strategy, hope and change. We either hope somebody comes in and pays too much or the market changes and my car becomes more valuable. But both those strategies usually don't work. Okay, so you gotta put a car on a price and it's gonna make, help you make wholesale decisions better and retail decisions better and recon decisions better. Because if you know you own it for 10 and then you know you gotta price it at 11 because that's the market, you got a thousand dollar spread. Now your service guy's coming in here telling you it's 900 bucks to get the tires and the oil change and everything done on it. So what do you do? Go ahead and do the 900, get aggressive, get off as soon as possible, pull the plug and say, just go ahead and take it to the lane, don't do the service. Or do we go, eh, do we really need the brakes? Can we get away with them where they at? Don't do the brakes, but let's just do the 500 other stuff. 
or the new tires or whatever and push this thing out, but you know it's a problem from day one, just like Dale was saying, address those cars from day one, minimize those losses, okay? So don't number five. You guys ever run into these? Is this kind of a common theme at the stores? We tend, these are the battles that we go against. Going back to the beginning where a couple of slides ago when I was saying two weeks without a price change, don't manage your inventory oldest to newest. That is the usual draw is I go in my, and I ask a dealer or manager how they price their cars or I go sort oldest to newest and I start attacking. What happens is dealers, I was just on a demo yesterday with a dealer, again, didn't know anything about him, showed him his bleed through problems, but that's how he attacked his inventory. He said, you know, and, and he had cars, he hasn't changed prices in 60 days. And he said, you know, the dealer said to me, you know what I did, Jason? I went back three months ago and we had a big aging problem and I blew out a bunch of aged cars. But then I floppy and just, now that we're cleaned up, you know, I was hoping everything would be okay and now we're back into an aging problem again. Because all he was focused on was that age. And you bust out 10 aged cars, well, if you're not paying attention to that 30 and 45 day old car, they bleed through. And so when we talk to dealers a lot of times, we can't help you with that. That's, you gotta take that hit. You gotta pull that bandaid off and I can't force you. But what we focus on is the zero to 60. Let's get that stuff moving. Price them aggressive, get those sales, offset what I gotta do on the age stuff. Stop the bleeding. Don't let a car trickle through. And then once you, 60 days old, once, what, if you got 20 cars right there over 60, figure out how to get out of them. 10 this month, 10 next month, blow them all out now. But, stop the bleeding and I'm gonna give you a little tip that's not in here right now if you have an aging problem to me anything over 60 days old is aging to me more than five or ten percent of your inventory being over 60 days old is a problem if you if you have that you want to get your middle bucket what I call your 31 to 60 day old cars you want that 20% less or 20% of your inventory that's it or less you're 30 to 60, don't let that be more than 20% of your inventory. Then make sure you're selling more than 20% out of that 30 to 60. So 20%, get it down in the teens, because what that does is it squeezes down very few cars to bleed through. So if I can be at 15% of my inventory is 30 to 60, and I'm selling 25%, no more cars are gonna bleed through. Now that I've stopped the bleeding, figure out the game plan to get out of that age, once you're cleaned up, keep that middle bucket no higher than 25%. And if you do that, that's where you maintain your gross and your turn. But by managing aged inventory, oldest to newest, and just focusing on that, you're in an endless cycle. Every two to three times a year, you're in an aging cycle. And we see it time and time again. Number six, seven minutes. Don't wholesale an aged car for less money than you have advertised online. That's a big one. We run in that a lot. Sometimes it's a pay plan problem, so you gotta maybe address that. But what we'll end up doing is we'll pull up a car that's 70 days old and then, hey, what's going on with this? Oh, I just took it to the lane. What do you plan on getting at the lane? 17 grand. Like, why are you at 19 still then? Well, I don't know, what do you want me to do? I'm number one in the market, 83%. I'm already losing 500, what do you want me to do? I don't know, get more than the lane. You're only gonna get 17 at the lane. You're at $19,000. Why don't we go to 18.5? See if that worked. If that don't work, let's go to 18. If that don't work, let's go to 17.5. If that don't work, let's go to 17. And then you gotta figure out what your buffer is. If I know 17 at the lane, well shoot, I'll go to 16.5. Because I get the opportunity of trade or F&I. When I sell at the lane, I get no opportunity and I'm paying a fee. 
right? And even if I don't get a trader FNI, even if you don't, it's a cash deal, out of town, I don't care, that's fine. Because get a referral. Get a referral from that customer, because how much are you paying bird dogs? A referral is like a bird dog, it's worth a few hundred bucks to you. That customer knows they're getting a good deal, they drove two hours to come buy that car because it's so cheap. Get a referral or get a review out of them, get a good five-star review about how great the deals are there, and at least get that. But if you're just taking them in a lane to get rid of them, you have no opportunity to recycle more money for your dealership, just like Ben was talking about yesterday. Okay. This one was kind of what Elaine was talking about earlier about pricing, uh, things I was talking about in a workshop. I have a whole workshop wrapped around this. It's on YouTube, but um, if you ever want to see it, again, any of my content I just throw out there, these are things you can do. We just help dealerships focus and address it. But if you want a deeper dive into this, I'm going to give you a, a, a really quick recap. I've been studying this strategy since 2011. I was with a dealer and he had a car price at 12.2. And I'm like, what are we doing? Let's, let's get that thing underneath 12 grand to get, let's go to 11.9. And then I stopped myself and said, well, hold on, wait. What if we put it at 12 grand even? He's like, what do you mean? So let's just put it at 12,000 even. And because what will happen is maybe, because I was telling them to go to 11.9. And so when people say, hey, I don't want to spend more than 12 grand, we're missing that shopper for 200 bucks. So I wanted to go to 11.9 and get that buyer. But I said, let's try it at 12 grand even. Let's see what happens. Because I think we're going to get the 12 and higher and the 12 and lower shopper. And sure enough, man, we took two or three of his cars and boom, SRPs just took off. So we tried it for half a month. And then that was in June. In July, we did it for the full month and doubled and tripled his SRPs and BDPs. Because here's what happens. When you're at 19995 on a car, somebody goes to Auto Trader, Cars.com, CarGurus. They search for 20 grand. Your car shows up. Okay? Possibly. they got new algorithms now and everything. But um, your car shows up. But what you're missing out on is, is that buyer that says, yeah, there's too many cars here. That buyer says, I want a nice car. I want, I'm going to look 20 to 25 grand. Guess what? Even when you're 19999 you do not show up anymore. You could be your dollar off of that 20 to 25 grand shopper. And that car sometimes performs better for the 20 and higher shopper than the 20 and lower shopper. Let me explain. If it's... If a customer says, I want an SUV or a Ford Escape or whatever, but I don't want to spend more than 20 as my cap, my cap at $19,995 or even at 20 grand, I'm at the top and they might see your car and go, oh, that's nice. But man, it's still top of my budget. And if they can find one at 17, 18, 19, they're going to buy it. Well, let's flip to the other customer says 20 to 25 grand that I'm not showing up on. I put it at 20 grand. They might flip it low to high. I'm the lowest priced car in that whole segment. And that's where I get the VDPs. All of a sudden, my VDPs start happening and I get calls. Now, when, the only time that might not work if you're the Miley one. So if you're the Miley car where you have 70,000, the market's at 30. Well, if the customer says, I'll go 20 to 25 grand, they might not like your car because it's too many miles. And if they're willing to go up to 25, they'll spend more money to get less miles. So I'll put it at 20 grand for a little bit to do what I call marinate, soak in some eyeballs, get all this SRPs and I'm gonna drop the price and hopefully one of those people buy, if that makes sense. So since 2011, I, interviewed, I, I called Dale Pollock, I'm like, you're not gonna believe. I'm like, I thought I was always ahead of the game here. I've been doing this for 12 years. I've, how does no one ever thought about this? I started doing research, couldn't find any information on it anywhere. And I, you know, now Auto Trader reps, Auto Trader reps, 
sometime encouraging, you might hear it or thought about it, but I guarantee I would never price another car any other way, okay? If you want more information, just hit me up. I can get you more information on that and show you the stats. All right, and then that leads to this. Don't make unimpactful price changes on your vehicle. So when I remember I told you I went in, dealers were struggling, turning their inventory, and what I found out, they weren't changing prices for 30 days. Well, another reason, a set of times, very small, but another reason why some dealers were bleeding through and aging is they had a manager in there just changing prices every two to five days. They drop it 50, raise it 100, drop it 250, raise it another 50, and they're just moving the thing all over the place. And I equate that to like hunting or fishing. I mean, you can't hunt in the woods and stomp around all over the place to see if something will come up. You gotta sit and be patient. And when you're just doing that, it makes no impact in the market, you're not pressing the customers, and you're not really even moving with the market. Even when you do a $100 or $200 price change in a week or two, the market moves that much with you anyways. You're at 100%, you wait a week or two, you drop it 250, and you're back at 100% because the market dropped that much by then. So you never get any more aggressive on a car. We do we're a lot of $500 price changes. One, I found that's customer shop that way. Some sites, if you're a Toyota store, Toyota certified, runs with $500 pricing buckets, like, 17.5 as a pricing bucket. But imagine being at 20 grand, you're getting a 20 and higher shopper, 20 lower shopper, even though you're at 98%, not that aggressive, but a lot of people are seeing your cars, maybe saving it, going, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. But if you drop it 100 bucks, it's not gonna get them excited and get on the phone and get in your dealership. You drop it 500, all of a sudden they go, ooh, that was a good before, now it's even better, I better get in there before somebody else does. So you make bigger impact in the market, you're gonna be cheaper every time you make a price change than where you were last time. Uh, Cars.com requires you to have at least a $500 price reduction to say reduced on the listing. Again, it's a whole strategy that you wanna look at, but definitely consider it. Uh, I can visit on you, again, we got workshops on it. I gotta hurry up. Don't restart the clock. If it took too long, get out of service or transportation. You wrote the check 20 days ago, I don't care if it took 10 days of transport, 10 days to get a service, don't start the clock over. You gotta manage your money and you wrote the check a day ago, or 21 days ago, you don't re-clock the car, okay? Don't compensate your pricing strategy, or don't change your pricing strategy to compensate a lack of progress and turnaround time and everything else. Get that problem fixed. I'm gonna keep moving this car as it's 21 days old, I'm not re-clocking it in. Okay, and then don't let your vehicles be <laughs> advertised online. This is the wrap up, but we'll have some fun with this. Don't let your vehicles be advertised online. Is this a uh, pointer? Okay. Don't let them be on online without double checking pictures. I call it a virtual lot walk. If you do the hashtag virtual lot walk on Twitter or Facebook, you're gonna find some of these things. One of the things we do with our dealers, we go through every photo and description and look for problems and fix them for them, okay? Here's some of the problems that we found as we're going through, you know? This ain't that big a deal, but you really can't see that car. <laughs> All right, so we gotta fix that. You gotta double check your work. Even though you're paying a company to do your photos and descriptions and assuming they're doing their job, they're just doing their job and they wanna get home just like everybody else and they're gonna get lazy and do stuff like this. Another one, service engine soon. Not very easy to sell. <laughs> People up close, you like that? Yeah. People up close can see this, but this, there's a guy back here with his head in his hand like his girlfriend just broke up with him in the picture there. You see that? So I guess they're trying to get a picture of the sunroof, but his buddy's over there doing something. Um, this is a 
$38,000 Jaguar. And, you're, and the guy's like, I don't know why it's not selling. I don't know. Let's look at your pictures. Oh, brake pad's low. That's going to help it sell. So who takes that picture? Um, oop, I got to go back. This one's just a dirty car. It's hard to see. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Upside down, backup camera. Now, you got to think about that. That's a tech issue there. Because look, if you notice, I mean, the picture's not upside down because that's the control. There's, the camera's upside down. Customers are going to buy that car and get mad at you if you don't fix that. So my next one's the best. This guy was trying to be progressive with taking photos of cars before the, while they get through service. I encourage you to do that, but run the car through the wash, take some temporary photos, and then, and then you know, or detail it. I'd rather you detail the car photo and then get into service. And some guys, well, what if I wholesale it? Well, then you're cleaner cars and you get more money at the lane anyway. So just clean it, photo it. So you don't have to wait for that eight day turnaround time through your service department. But this one is, takes the cake. You guys can't see it, but this bumper sticker says, at least I can still smoke in my car. So yeah, no one's gonna wanna buy that car. And it's all beat up and scratched up and everything like that. So again, this is just some of those things that we run into that we battle with dealers all the time. Um, take this and again, use some of these things to help you improve your used car operations. Check out any of the other content I have online. Thank you for your time, I appreciate it. Yes, right, didn't I tell you? Jason Rice from Lot Pop. I told you, man, he's really, really, he knows his stuff. I thank you so much, Jason. That was a wonderful presentation. I told you. Okay, guess what time it is? Lunchtime. Lunchtime, that's right, but before you get up,